Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. How can you find God's greatness? If you're looking for God's greatness, which refers to God being infinite, how can we find God's infinite? How can we connect with God's infinite? And the answer is through His humility. That God in His humility enabled us to grasp His greatness. What is the idea of humility? When a person is humble, he makes himself approachable, available, accessible. So when you speak of God's humility, is God made himself available. God made himself accessible. He speaks to us. Despite the fact that he's so removed from us and so remote and so infinitely greater, nevertheless, God wants to speak to us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And he wants to speak to us on our level. He doesn't overwhelm us with his presence. He doesn't, um, but he finds a way to speak to us, to communicate with us. As a result of God's uh, humility, God made himself, his greatness, available to us. How is that? He uses the same expression we find in the Talmud. It says that God timped him. He concentrated his shechina, his presence, between the poles of the ark. Timtem shechinase ben That God concentrated his infinite presence between the poles of the ark and the Holy of Holies. God's presence is found in the Holy of Holies. So just like in the sense of Adir, he uses the word timtim. Timtim doesn't mean that he shrunk or he lessened or he concealed on the contrary. Timtim means he concentrated. His entire essence, he concentrated and revealed between the two poles of the ark in the Holy of Holies. And from there he communicated with Moshe. He spoke through Moshe. That's where the prophecy emanates from the Holy of Holies. So it's not a hiding, a concealing, on the contrary. It's, it's a re- revelation. God reveals himself, but he concentrates. He concentrates himself and reveals his entire essence, concentrates his infinite essence through this limited space, the two poles of the Holy Ark. God himself concentrated his own essence, his own being. Just like when the person is humble, the person is modest, he himself is modest. He himself makes himself available and accessible. So too, God himself, in his infinite essence, retaining his infinite essence, concentrates himself and enables us, makes himself available and accessible to us. How? Through Torah mitzvah. Torah deals with realities that we can relate to. The laws of the Torah all deal with physical realities, so we can relate to them. So when you grasp an idea in Torah, a law in Torah, a concept in Torah, you are literally grasping God. God concentrates himself and makes himself available. You know, that's the difference between Torah and um, all other wisdom, science, math. Those wisdoms are limited, are finite, are human. But the Torah is divine. That God's infinite divine essence concentrates himself and reveals himself through Torah, through mitzvah. So he's saying that the infinite essence of God, God concentrated his infinite essence not just in a spiritual sense, an idea, and a concept, but even down to the physical sense. The physical letter written on parchment and, and with, with ink, that physical letter is holy. That physical parchment becomes holy. So God's infinite essence has come down and concentrated himself and is found in that physical uh, presence. We have a contradiction because it says in the very same Ethics of Our Fathers, this is a quote from Ethics of Our Fathers, it says 
that one moment in the world to come is worth more than all of the pleasures of this world put together. It's a contradiction. Which one is it? Is this world superior to the world to come? Or is the world to come superior to this world? As it says elsewhere in Ethics of Our Fathers that, that this world is just an antechamber for the world to come. So what's the whole purpose? Firstly, it's interesting to know in the Torah the world to come is not even mentioned. The afterlife is not even mentioned. The Torah doesn't even speak about the afterlife. The Torah only speaks about this world and the reward in this world. If you follow the Torah and mitzvah, God will reward you. You'll get, you'll get your, your money in time and your, you'll be able, your crop will come in in time, etc. You'll get all the blessings, receive all the blessings. There's no, no word, no mention of the world to come. Now there's a classical argument between Maimonides and Nachmanides in the Kabbalists. When we speak of the world to come, which is the ultimate reward? What is the ultimate reward? At the end of the day, after everything is said and done, what is the eternal reward? What is the ultimate reward for Torah, for mitzvah, for the soul? Is it Ganeden? Is it what we call Ganeden? Afterlife? When the soul leaves the body, leaves the world, and the soul connects with, you know, the soul goes to heaven? Or is it what we call Tchiat HaMesim, resurrection? The body will be resurrected. Is that the ultimate reward? What is the ultimate reward? No one holds that the coming of Mashiach is the ultimate reward. Mashiach is a reward. The question is, what is the ultimate reward? After the coming of Mashiach, there will be the resurrection of the dead. What happens after the resurrection of the dead? Will the soul remain in this world? Or will the soul move on? It's eternal reward. What is the world to come? That's the argument. Does the world to come mean a disembodied soul? Soul in heaven? Or is the world to come referring to this world, our world? This is a classical argument between Maimonides and Nachmanides. Maimonides believes whenever the Torah Talmud refers to Olam Haba, the ultimate, the ultimate reward, the world to come, it's referring to the soul in heaven. Not this world. This world can never be an ultimate reward. This world is too physical. It's too material. It's too crass. It's too tangible. No, it's too limited. <coughs> ultimate. Ultimate is the soul is disembodied, the soul in heaven. Of course, Maimonides believes in the resurrection of the dead. It's one of the 13 principles of faith. It's going to happen after the coming of Mashiach. But he holds that that's a temporary reward. Since the body worked so hard in achieving the eternal reward, God doesn't remain indebted. God owes the body a big debt. How much sacrifice the body had to make to do the right thing while living in such a corrupt world, to make all those choices and all those sacrifices and deprive yourself of all those pleasures just to fulfill the will of God. The body deserves a tremendous reward for all that effort and refinement. So God will not, you know, will not uh, ignore the body. So the body will be resurrected. After this would be a time after the coming of Mashiach, and then the body and soul will enjoy together. But then ultimately the body will die, and the soul will go reach heaven and go to its eternal reward. That's the opinion of Maimonides. Nachmanides and all the Kabbalists disagree. They hold that there's three things: when the soul dies, the soul goes to its eternal reward in heaven. Then you have the coming of Mashiach, and then you have the resurrection. The resurrection will be is the ultimate reward. 
when the soul will be reunited with the body, that's the ultimate reward. That's the ultimate level. Even higher, surpassing the level of the soul when the soul is in heaven. And Hasidic philosophy, the verdict is, says, state that the verdict is like Mahmoudis. And the, the explanation is what we just learned in this chapter. Because, and with this world, the Rebbe explains a contradiction between the two missions, the two statements and ethics of our fathers. One contradicts the other. In the same breath, he says, one moment in this world is greater than the world to come. All the world to come put together. And then in the same breath, he says, one moment in the world to come is more pleasurable than all the pleasures in this world. And the answer is that yes, if you're speaking about the, your own pleasure, your individual pleasure, your soul's pleasure, you can't compare any physical pleasure to, to, to a spiritual pleasure. Spiritual pleasure is so much more pleasurable. It's hard for us to even, even really appreciate it. Until you experience it, you can't really appreciate it. You know, we could understand it somehow, that things that are more refined, things that are more spiritual gives us gives us greater pleasure a person who develops a taste for music all the physical pleasures in the world can compare with the, with the pleasure of music pure ecstasy someone who really has, finds pleasure pleasure in music or someone who has pleasure in doing a favor to someone doing kindness to others it surpasses any physical pleasure anything in this world someone who develops a pleasure for understanding things which gives a person tremendous pleasure people dedicate their lives just to think Aristotle grew up in a very wealthy, wealthy family. Could have been aristocratic, could have grown up like all his noblemen. He gave it all up. It meant nothing to him. Because all the pleasures of the physical world, money, power, fame, meant nothing to him in comparison to the pleasure of thinking, of figuring something out, and, and figuring out a complex issue, and understanding it, and grasping it. So even in this world, you see pleasure that's more, and how can you compare it to a spiritual pleasure? A person who develops a taste for spirituality develops a taste for meditation, for spirituality. All the physical pleasures in the world are nothing in comparison to the pleasure of, of something spiritual. So, and whatever level of spirituality we experience in this world is nothing in comparison to the smallest level of pleasure or spirituality that the soul achieves when the soul leaves the body, when it's no longer limited by the coarse physical limited body. So the smallest pleasure, people who have, who have near-death experiences, all of them, Report that they, you know, they, they they suddenly see this light, and they were so drawn to it, and it's indescribable. The pleasure is indescribable. They had to force themselves, they had to tear themselves away to come back into the body. So you can't compare. All the pleasures in this world can't even begin to come doesn't even come close to the smallest spiritual pleasure that the soul experiences once the soul is in heaven. So in that sense, the mission is right. That one moment of pleasure in the world to come far surpasses and exceeds all the physical pleasures of this entire world. Even if you live like King Solomon, and you live for a thousand years, and you indulge and experience every single pleasure that this world has to offer, it wouldn't even come close to the one moment of a purely spiritual heavenly pleasure. But that's your own pleasure. But then you have God's pleasure. What gives God pleasure? What gives God pleasure is Torah mitzvah. That's His will. That's His pleasure. God's pleasure is infinite in comparison to our pleasure. All the pleasures of the soul and the, and the spiritual realm and the world to come and the heavenly realms 
are nothing and insignificant in comparison to one moment of pleasure in this world. Not that we gain pleasure from it, but the pleasure is God's pleasure. Because when you do Torah and mitzvot in this world, you're touching the divine essence. You're touching, you're enveloped. From head to toe, you're enveloped in God's will and God's pleasure. And your mind is one with God's mind. And God and His mind, His will and His pleasure are inseparable, one and the same. So you are touching the infinite, you're touching the divine. So in heaven, you can't really touch the divine. In heaven, the soul benefits and enjoys a ray, a glimmer, an illumination from the divine. But the analogy is like a rimmer, a ray. The sun remains where the sun is, and the sun emanates from itself a ray and a glimmer. But it's not that the sun itself comes into, the, into this world. The sun remains in heaven. But we benefit from the sun. So too, the souls in heaven they enjoy the radiance of God, the divine radiance, and the pure ecstasy and pleasure that they derive from it. But, but the, nevertheless, they cannot grasp God's essence because God is infinite. But it's in this world, through the Torah, which is compared to water, which just like water, the water itself that was all the way on high, that water itself comes and finds the lowest spot, so too. God's will and wisdom, God's essence itself, himself, comes into this world, into the physical world, in the form of Torah and mitzvah. One moment of Torah and mitzvah in this world is worth more than all the spirituality and all, all the heavenly realms put together, all the pleasures and ecstasies put together. So thousands of years of heavenly ecstasy can compare to one moment of putting on tefillah in this world, of giving a penny to tzedakah, saying the Shema, lighting a Shabbat candle, doing a mitzvah, any of the 613 mitzvahs. The spiritual realm is a secondary event. The main event is in this world, in this physical world. This is, where, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. This is the Garden of Eden. This is where God feels at home. Not in heavens, not in the heavens of heavens. That's a temporary event. So the soul comes down into this world and waits thousands of years to come down to this world and can't wait to come down to this world because it wants to encounter God. It wants to meet God. It wants to come face to face to God. And the only place you can do that is in this world. That's one of the reasons why the soul doesn't want to die. Why, why death is so traumatic. Because the soul knows the preciousness of the body. Knows the preciousness of life in this world. It knows that once, once life is over, after 120 years, that's it. It's all over in a certain sense. You can no longer... You're not in the marketplace anymore. You can't buy, you can't sell, you can't earn. Whatever you've earned, you've earned. It's in the bank, that's it. And you're just, you're just living off interest for the rest of, the rest of your time in heaven until Mashiach comes, till the resurrection. But the place to earn, to risk, to invest, the place to accomplish, to achieve, to change... That opportunity is lost forever. Unless you're reborn, unless you come down the, uh, you're re, in a reincarnation. But for the soul, it's only when the soul is in this world, they really have, this is the opportunity to change, to accomplish, to do mitzvot. So every moment that we have, every day that we have, we have to uh, grab the opportunity, use the opportunity. We have such a special opportunity. Other religions look at this world as you know, you were born in sin and only, only um, rescuers will, will all go to heaven and we'll have faith and we'll all be rescued to heaven. And, 
and this world is a maya, is an, is an illusion. That's not the Jewish perspective. The Jewish perspective is this world is a Garden of Eden. This world is a world full of opportunity. It seems like a lot of the crazy like religious fanatics always think that it's all like, the world. So much so, right, that, that they, they de-emphasize this world. They don't mind to die. Um, you know, in Judaism, it's just the opposite. You have to violate all 613 mitzvot, with the exception of the three cardinal uh, to save a life and to um, you know, murder and adultery and idolatry with those three exceptions other than those three exceptions a Jew has to violate all mitzvot just to sustain life in this world even another moment of life because life in this world is where it's at is what it's all about the holiness the sanctity of life in this world the opportunity that we have in this world is something that the soul will never have again one moment in this world and you can turn your whole life around one split second you can do teshuvah and turn your whole life around. You can change. Once you die, once you're in heaven, it's all, it's all over. It's too late. Whatever you have in your baggage, whatever you have in your bags, that's it. Whatever you packed, that's all you have. Nothing more, nothing less. Unless the children, your children could increase for you. Your children could add. When they do a mitzvah, it's like the bank account keeps on increasing. You get nachas. <laughs> what? Investment, right. That's your investment. Right. In the world to come, there's no tshuva. It's too late. In heaven. Only in this world. It's too late. Whatever you are, you are. It's, you're stuck. Your bags are packed. You, tra- you, left, you left the game already. You're, you're, out, you're out of the business. Your time to earn, your time to risk, your time to invest, your time to lose and to make up. It's all now. Now. Time is now. This is it's a tremendous opportunity. That's why Judaism looks at this world as a marketplace. A tremendous opportunity. It's not... It, it's a time where you can invest. This is the time, the, the 80, 90, 120 years that God gives us. Every moment, every day is precious. This is the time that we can, you can handle and you can rake it in. You can invest and you can do mitzvot and mitzvot. And a day should not go by without you doing another mitzvah. Because that mitzvah that you have is forever, is eternal. That's the baggage that you take with you. Because it's only the physical in this world. This is where it's at. This is what it's all about. So is that why you think people that do a lot of mitzvahs maybe death is easier because they feel like they've done what they had to do in this life and now they can accept it more? Or? On the other hand, we don't, we don't, a Jew wants to live. You know, I could do more, could do more mitzvahs. We're not, you know, so the emphasis is not the world to come. The world to come is not exciting for us. <laughs> the life after death is not exciting for us. How can it compare with life in this world? It's only life in this world they have the opportunity to touch the essence of God. You don't have that opportunity in heaven. Why would you give that up? That's why a Jew wants Mashiach to come. Mashiach will come, there will be, there will be no more dying, no more death. And, and to be immediately followed by the resurrection. All those souls that already died will be resurrected, will come back and come to the ultimate reward, which is body and soul in this world, this physical world. And this is something Alter Rebbe will discuss at great length later in the, in the 30s, in later chapters, how, how is it possible that this physical world, which is so cynical and jaded and dark and, and uh, coarse, and the antithesis of anything godly and spiritual we find, people are so selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed. And, so, and this physical world could be the ultimate, the ultimate place, the ultimate environment that God calls the Garden of Eden. God says, this is where I feel at home. This is where the soul can't wait thousands of years to come back to. 
This is going to be the ultimate reward. When the more you probe, the deeper you probe the realities of this world as it is today, you're almost repulsed and disgusted by the, the, the lies, how it's all, everything is just one big lie and it's so false. What a false world. There isn't a single aspect of this world that isn't false. You know, my father-in-law was in the newspaper business. He used to say, uh, never trust anything it says in the newspaper. Because even the date is a lie, because it was published yesterday. So this is a world of lies. It's smoke and mirrors. Everything is smoke and mirrors. And the government, the corporations, the business. And the more, you, the more you learn about the world, the more you realize how false it is. So this physical world, this is the environment, this is the place that God says that is my essence will be revealed. This is the place where God says, I feel at home. This is the Garden of Eden. This is the place where the holies and the holy of holies is found in this physical world. With the Torahs and the mitzvot and the Jewish people. This is where it's at. The answer is, you better believe it. This is where it's at. But that's something you're going to elaborate on as you'll explain it in greater depth, in great depth in the 30. It's through the 613 mitzvah, through the thought, speech, and action, that the soul is able to bond and to connect with the infinite. Because the soul, especially the conscious level of the soul, is finite. So the soul has no way of grasping God. Even with the higher faculties of the soul, through meditation, through philosophy, through love, the soul cannot connect with the essence of God. There's only one way for the soul to connect with the essence of God. Through mitzvah. Through studying Torah and doing mitzvah. Which is what's unique about Judaism versus all other religions and all other mysticism. Because Judaism understands the inherent limitation of religion and mysticism and spirituality. Because spirituality doesn't, act, doesn't give you access to God. God is neither spiritual, God is neither physical. Just like the uh, hand cannot grasp God, neither could the mind grasp God. Neither could the soul grasp God. Neither could the angel grasp God. The highest level of consciousness, the most mind-boggling, mind-blowing human experience, the greatest ecstasy, the most sublime, heavenly music experience, cannot grasp God. We simply do not have what it takes. We don't have the tools... Because ultimately we're all finite, including spirituality. The only way for us to grasp the infinite, to grasp God, is only one way. And that is God enabled us to grasp Him. God concentrated Himself. Because God in His infinite capacity, in His modesty, God has the ability to concentrate His infinite essence in something finite. Just like God has the ability to concentrate the Shekhinah between the two poles of the of the Ark, the Holy Ark, and the Holy of Holies. And His entire essence is concentrated in that space. So God has the ability to concentrate His infinite essence within the Torah and the mitzvah. The entire Torah as it was given to us to be grasped and comprehended through physical mind, through logical mind, and, and to be grasped and comprehended through action, thought, speech, and action, to fulfilling all the mitzvah. So God enabled us to grasp His very essence. And it's only... When the soul, when the soul expresses itself through, puts on these clothes, so to speak, that the soul is enveloped, the soul is elevated, the soul is enveloped by the infinite light. So if the soul wants to be elevated, 
the soul has to go down. The soul has to come down. The soul has to get into the nitty-gritty. The soul has to do the mitzvah. So roll up its sleeve and do the mitzvah. Live in this world and express itself, express and fulfill the 613 mitzvah. That's the only path for the soul to connect with the essence of God. If a soul divorces himself from mitzvot and focuses and concentrates and meditates, and the soul is really severing himself from any possible connection with God. So the, so the person who spends his life on the mountaintop, sitting and meditating, is actually distancing himself from God. It's a dead end. The only way for the soul to connect with God is for the soul to roll up its sleeve and to put on the clothes to express itself through living a Jewish lifestyle, through Torah and mitzvot, thought, speech, and action, fulfilling all 613 mitzvot. Eating the matzah, lighting the candle, and giving the tzedakah, and leading a Jewish lifestyle, studying Torah, and praying. And all of these things are very physical, very practical, very doable, very simple. When the soul humbles itself, the soul is elevated. It's elevated by the experience. The soul waits thousands of years just to be able to be born, just to be able to come into this world. Because it's only in this world that we have an opportunity that the soul could never have in heaven. The soul could be in heaven for thousands of years and have the most ultimately sublime experiences, heavenly experiences. And yet the soul yearns and waits, can't wait for the moment that it comes into this world and has the opportunity to do a mitzvah. It has the opportunity. By doing the simplest mitzvah, you can connect with the essence of God. Something that's not afforded to the soul while it's in heaven. So the soul, he's saying, is elevated. When the soul is fully engaged, puts on the clothes, this, uh, thought, speech, and action of 613 mitzvah, the mind of the soul is fully engaged in studying Torah. And the heart of the soul is fully engaged in, in speech and action of the mitzvah, that the mitzvah is done with love and passion and awe, then the soul is bound up with God, and the light of God envelops the soul from head to foot. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky